So, Greg, how did you honor our fallen soldiers this past Memorial Day? Well, obviously through prayer and service and things like that. And introspection. And, and having a fun evening Monday night at Redondo Beach. Oh, all right. Yeah. I, I honored our fallen by buying a mattress with Great. 0% APR. <laughs> Great. Yep. A Memorial Day weekend deal. Exactly mm-hmm. as the troops wanted. <laughs> exactly. This is the freedoms that they fought for. Uh, sorry, we, we don't mean to be flippant. I mean... No, of course not. No. Obviously, we, we love our country and we love the, the sacrifice, of the, especially on this uh, Memorial Day, mm. when, well, um, which is designed to memorialize the troops that have actually given the, made the ultimate sacrifice for their nation. Exactly. Yeah. But we're not, we're, we didn't choose this week's movie based on Memorial Day. Well, no. I mean, it, co- it coincided with the, um, what is it now, this 80? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's getting up there. Uh, mm-hmm. 73rd anniversary of the D-Day landing. Yes. And so this week, we decided to catch up with the Steven Spielberg classic, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, well, you, you opened it as a Steven Spielberg classic, Sean. This is a this is a classic of cinema. Just so happens to be directed by one of the greatest filmmakers who will ever live. Well, isn't that why? I, I guess so. Yeah, but those, it's it's so much more than it's so much hand. more than Mr. Spielberg. There's a lot going on here. I guess that's true. Yeah, this was um not exactly revolutionary, but it's it certainly hit with audiences back in 1998, being mm-hmm. the highest grossing movie from that year. Mm-hmm. Now that, now that seems no yeah, now that seems practically impossible because there's <laughs> not a two after its name or based on a comic book superhero or something like that. But did it cross the billion dollar mark, Greg? <laughs> no. Okay. Because to that point, only Titanic had so. Okay. <laughs> Thanks to inflation and the China market. Nice. No, yes. It's not quite the achievement it used to be. No. But had you seen this before prior? So I this is one I don't think I've ever actually sat down and watched it start to finish. Okay. I think I've seen piecemeal. Obviously, everyone's familiar with the great Omaha Beach scene, mm-hmm. as well as you know some of the other moments. I remember key moments, but yeah, this was the the first time I can ever recall actually sitting down and watching it from beginning to end. Okay. Yeah. Had you ever seen it before? No, I had not. Okay. I guess before we get into <laughs> what we thought of the movie, um, I should probably explain again. We we do love the troops. We would love to honor our troops. We admire their sacrifice. Um, mm-hmm. And we are also film critics, so we're going to look at this 170-minute uh, film called Saving Private <laughs> Ryan and uh, look at it critically um, and explain everything that we liked and disliked about it. And th- of the things we disliked, that does not mean we dislike our troops and <laughs> you know, don't, don't mean to honor and pour out our love for their, for their sacrifices. <laughs> I just want to get that caveat out of the way, because obviously this movie is draped in, or it has the clear intention of lionizing and, and supporting the, the men and women who gave so much in World War II. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of feel is it's one of its great strengths and one of its great detriments. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, did a, did a pipe burst? <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds like steam escaping. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is two movies. It is two movies. It is two movies, and sometimes they work great in tandem, and sometimes they rub up against each other and cause a lot of friction. Okay. And I think that's the great, interesting point of this movie, because going back to that Omaha Beach opening. Mm -hmm. So we open in a military cemetery in Normandy. Yeah, actually, can I point out, it's it's kind of weird because the opening shot is actually a, a flowing uh, United States flag. Exactly. And so when this movie first opens, you think it's going to be, you know, with the with the low brass, you know, you expect like Tom Brokaw to start narrating, <laughs> you know, the, the greatest generation. They fought yeah. for, you know, you think it's this very sanctimonious, very sanitized view of what... Or a, nas a nationalist point of view. Exactly, a, na a national perspective, but the movie's not quite that. No, and then we, and then it cuts to the Battle of Normandy. You see the guys are freaking out; they're throwing up. You know, they're like close to fainting. Mm -hmm. And then they start landing, and it's just bullets flying, explosions, limbs being blown off, and guts being busted. Yeah, it's it was, really intense. Yeah, the, it, the the I think the, great... I think the 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 exceptional filmmaking of the scene, go notwithstanding, it's one of the most visceral. <laughs> amazing, uh, just stunning uh, sequences ever committed to celluloid. I think that yeah. that needs that needs that needs to go unsaid because yeah. its reputation precedes it. Exactly, but again, like the the previous scene, setting it up for thinking that this is just going to be a traditional rah rah America's great World War Two movie, mm -hmm. and then kind of showing you the reality and the viscera and just the pure carnage of what it was like that day is a great contrast. And again, I, that's a that's I a disagree. great. You think so? I completely disagree. Yeah, for me, it's it's oil and water. I well, I I won't disagree that sometimes that oil and water doesn't quite mix, but I think for the first scene, it works. Okay, you're absolutely right. Later in the movie, I don't think it's I don't think it's a virtue. I would I would have rather seen because we've seen we've seen that sanitized version before, and mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think having a contrast with it. Like trying to trying to do a real docudrama compared with you know a schmaltzy you know John Wayne version of war is necessarily mm -hmm. is necessarily advantageous to either. Mm. I think I think you're actually really diminishing um, <laughs> the quality of that scene when you when you kind of sandwich it between two schmaltzy scenes. You mentioned the the, the sun shining through a flowing American flag and yeah a, 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 the low somewhat, a somewhat overacting bah, bah, you know bah, bah, yeah bah, bah. The, a swelling score. I, I guess we'll get to this. I don't like John Williams' score here. No, the score is atrocious. Yeah, because it's always swelling. It's always swelling. It's mm -hmm. it, especially at the end of the sequence. It's such a harrowing sequence. But then, yeah, you hear the the soaring, swelling music again. I'm like, wait, this this didn't feel right to me. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the problem is the fact that all the intense scenes, there's no music. It's exactly. Very visceral. It's very exciting. Very so realistic. Then when that, yeah, and then when that music comes in, it just totally destroys the illusion because it's so schmaltzy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I just, I couldn't, yeah. Those, so sometimes those things squared, like I think for the original scene, it's squared because again, it's setting you up for the schmaltz fest and then it turns out to be not that. But then when it goes back to the schmaltz fest, then it's like, oh, okay, so we're still trying to kind of meet this halfway. Because again, see, the following—I'd rather the... not see it meet halfway at all. Okay. I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather you you go forward and you commit to that vision of this is war, it is hell, mm -hmm. 
it is a violent, terrible thing, you know, soldier, and they get to this later, like, soldiers need not question why. You have to kind of face those, face those realities. I think mm-hmm. it did a disservice to it if that was Spielberg's intention was to veer off into kind of movie land or fantasy land. Initially, when he first got the script and wanted to do this movie, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be like Boy Scouts trudging across Europe, like Boy's Own Adventure, you know, mm-hmm. like a cheesy uh, comic book version of, you know, and we're punching Nazis and we're taking it to Hitler. Get those Japs, yeah. you know. <laughs> but well, John, we're in the European theater. There, oh, you, whatever. Yeah. You, you know what I mean. Stop, <laughs> stop repeating <laughs> racial slurs. You do that too frequently for my taste. This is the legacy of America, okay? I'm just, <laughs> I'm not going to sanitize it for you, okay? In your sensitive ears. Very sensitive ears. <laughs> but yeah, it's like he, it seemed like he initially wanted that vision but then hearing about what the people the people who fought in Normandy, what they actually went through, and what it was actually like to fight in World War II, he wanted to make that gritty, realistic version of it. So he tries to gel the two versions of it, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, and name me an example where it works. Again, like the first scene. I think the first mm. scene it works. Okay. Because again, it's subverting your expectations. But when we jump back to that, you know, uh, poor Mrs. Ryan finding out that her... Th- uh, sons have died. Well, it's it's worse than that. I, I yeah, like the following. We're back in a hospital. We have um, women typing up messages, mm-hmm. um, which is effective swell- because it's ex- yeah. those messages are um, done in voiceover. We get that swelling music again. Yeah. Dun, dun. Well, I think the voiceover is effective in terms of capturing the gravity of uh, having to report that your son has died in combat. Mm-hmm. Um, what I didn't like was, and this we see this in the opening scene in a cemetery. Um, the woman gets one message. Oh, she has to run across the room. Wait a minute, I've seen this last name before. Oh, and it's like it. <laughs> granted, it's it's silent, but it's like a silent movie. They have to kind of over overact and and communicate the drama. Yeah, exactly. Which I think takes away from the realism you establish in that great Omaha Beach sequence. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a question of tone. I I can understand you appreciating that intention of. Wanting to contrast the the schmaltzy, overly heroic, overly nationalist view of World War II that we've gotten for the last fifty years. Well, I think it sets up an interesting contrast at the beginning because it's how far separated we are from the actual battle that it would make sense for us to do it in the schmaltzy style. So it would make sense to have you know the sweeping American flag at sunset and the trumpets blaring you know, when we're actually so far away from the battle, which those scenes are, and that's why it works. 
But when he's actually doing it, when they're actually boots on the ground, you know, walking through the mud, and then we get that same schmaltzy score, then it's like, all right, now it's not working. You know what I'm saying? I guess so, yeah. Again, it just didn't didn't work for me, period. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm agreeing with you to an extent. Yeah. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to see it from your perspective. Um, mm-hmm. But again, but again, that that twenty minutes is again one of the greatest sequences ever committed to film. Which and it's certainly again, I think that the reputation of that scene kind of precedes itself. But for me, like having having rewatched I, it from beginning mm, to end here, mm, here's the other. But here's a criticism about that scene. I think it goes a little too far and goes into gratuitous territory. You think so? I think so. Because how many times do we see someone like? sit up or you know take a breath take his helmet off and then right through the head well there Bullet is one right there is yeah at least once mm-hmm. um which yeah does in terms of the, the limits of cinema like the way it's the way it's played out it's it's obviously staged that way mm-hmm. exactly um, whereas other moments yeah it's it's not as much but i think i think the high the the quality of filmmaking behind the scene kind of um makes up for those those more artificial elements I mean, I, I do agree it's a great scene, but mm-hmm. for me, it maybe just went on a little too far. Because at a certain point, yeah, for me... I, to be fair, for, we, we weren't there. We don't know how far Yeah, it exactly, is. yeah. But I mean, well, again, the movie's like two and a half hours plus. Yeah. Like the Allies didn't take this long to win the war, guys, come <laughs> on. And so... For me, the the scene went a little on a little too long. Personally, just viewing it as the merits of a movie, okay. like maybe he could have cut it down like about five minutes, and or again not staged it in ways where it's designed yeah. for like maximum, maximum impact. Like like the guy who loses his arm and is kind of like in shock, and you see him looking around for it, and he just picks it up and keeps going. Yeah, well that like that's that a, felt a yeah. little silly. Mm-hmm. It's also a reference to. A movie I'll, I'll might spotlight later. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, which again, it like casts for film lovers. It casts your mind to that what he's referencing, and so that that could diminish the impact of the. Oh, okay. Of the so, scene, yeah. That's what that's what it did for, for me. Um, but granted, I'm coming for at, nerds. Get exactly, it, I'm coming at from from a different perspective. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, uh, so the other reason why is because later in the movie we do get more harrowing scenes with characters we've actually gotten invested in. Mm-hmm. So those felt more potent to me than this scene where it's like all these nameless soldiers are just cannon fodder. That's true. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it depends on your love for an innately decent man and Tom Hanks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's going to Tom Hanks's role in this film. He's playing a kind of soft-spoken, not particularly aggressive captain. No, I, well, I won't say soft. But no, I think he's I think he's authoritative enough. He's authoritative. He's but withdrawn, he's, though. He's got that uh, Teddy Roosevelt quality, where it's just uh, speak softly and carry a big stick. Yeah, and also, but I, I I like withdrawn because again, this being a movie, they make a they make a pool out of where he's from and what he actually does for a living. Because he doesn't he doesn't tell that to his um, to his subordinates. Yeah, it comes out in a dramatic moment because up to this point, the his the soldiers underneath him don't really know where he comes from or what he does for a living. Mm-hmm. Like what he comes through, like, and then in a dramatic moment, he reveals it to kind of undercut the tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a very powerful scene. It That was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, what did you think of the performance overall? I mean, um, I think it's, it's good because it's, it's hard to praise because it's so understated. It is understated. You're right. It's not a particularly showy role. 
No, that's that's what I find kind of fascinating about it is um, he's kind of weathered an experience, and because of that, it's also withdrawn in the reaction thing. Unlike uh, we get another character who's a little more who's who hasn't seen combat, and we see the the pain and struggle on his face. On Tom Hanks, we don't. Mm-hmm, that's true. And it does uh, come out. It does come out in one scene later. He's responsible for getting a soldier killed, and he walks so he walks away from his troops while they prepare uh, graves. And um, yeah, he breaks down crying. The, in those exactly. moments, it's it's very effective. Yeah, um, there is one little subtle tick he has where his hand is constantly shaking. That too. Yeah, I got, that felt like um, kind of <laughs> kind of obvious hand holding. I think for the audience to. Um. I mean, I mean, I I thought it was I thought it was like too obvious, too obviously written. I mean, uh, obviously, Tom Hanks does the best he can with it. Um, you're right. It is kind of an easy setup and payoff. But I mm-hmm. think the reason why it works for me is because initially we think it's just nerves, or at least you know it's just something that's gonna carry like just carry through the Normandy landing, mm-hmm. and then it turns out to be something that he kind of carries through them with the rest of the European theater, and it does kind of come back in the very climax of the movie. And it does kind of resolve itself thematically in one certain shot. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm glad it's there as opposed to nothing at all. Okay. You're right. Could it have been more subtle? Absolutely. But it's like, it's something. Okay. It's not just an afterthought. Yeah, I know. I, again, mm-hmm. we're t- <laughs> we don't mean to point out every fault of this movie, but... <laughs> no, no, no. It's yeah. just, it's more fun that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can I get, can I actually talk about some of the other performances? Sure. That I did like, because I wanted to mention that other, that green soldier mm-hmm. that tags along with the mission, we should probably also explain, uh, <laughs> following the Normandy landing, um, two of the, two brothers have passed away. And so three out of four brothers in a family have, have, uh, have been killed in combat. And army protocol says we can't have, we can't have this family's entire bloodline wiped out. We have to go find the last remaining brother and bring him home. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Tom Hanks and his uh, platoon are doing, and they take along a green soldier whose name is Upham, mm-hmm. played, played by, by Jeremy him. Davies, who unfortunately hasn't gone on to the great acting career that a lot of other... <laughs> excuse me. He played Mr. Daniel Faraday in Lost, good sir. Uh, there... Oh, excuse, excuse me. That, that, he's that, a fine actor. That memorable, and... that memorable performance from that memorable show. Excuse me. <laughs> and also, in the upcoming new Showtime show, American Gods... He'll be playing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, okay, he's doing uh, just fine. Great. Okay, <laughs> good, good for him. Who says there are no second acts in American life? <laughs> no, I want to get back to his because it opens in that kind of obvious um, war movie way, mm-hmm. in which it's kind of a slapstick moment where he's like, "Let me gather my things." Oh, they all spilled all over the floor. Yeah, he's like, he's gonna take his typewriter with him. It's like, yeah. what are you gonna do? Carry a typewriter? Yeah, I know. With you're you? just here to yeah interpret. Exactly. That's Ugh. all you're here for. Yeah. What but, a nerd. Yes. <laughs> but I think it develops later, mm-hmm. or at least it's or, it's very organic the way his his character kind of grows in the situation. And yeah, we don't see we don't see any more of those kind of obvious touches anymore. Well, there is his character does kind of go through a weird arc, and I'm not a hundred percent sure if I agree with the statement it's trying to make, or if I'm even sure what statement it is trying to make. Yeah, the character's arc uh, kind of goes in a funny direction towards the very end. Yeah. Should so, we get into that now, or should we maybe talk about that later? No, let's talk about that later, because I want to get to that the whole battle sequence. and Okay, all right. In terms, yeah, also in terms of um, 
the reality the reality of this film wants to portray of World War Two versus the schmaltzy, <laughs> you know, okay. war movie that Hollywoodized war movie it wants to create yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They are tasked with finding the remaining Brian brother. Mm-hmm. They don't really know hundred, you know. I, I, yeah, where I don't think is. I mentioned that actually. Yeah, this is the, <laughs> this is the Ryan family from Iowa. Exactly. Um, they just know that he paratrooped into the European theater, and now they have to go find him based on the last location they think he's at. Yeah, the the his whole airborne division got split up, and nobody knows where they are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the men don't agree with this kind of mission. It's like seven guys going after one person. Yeah, through a very really... da- dangerous part of northern France. Exactly. This is still very and, much occupied by enemy soldiers. But I do kind of like the plot because it adds a nice twist to the, again, the sacrimonious portrayal of like World War II is like brave men who went to go fought in the face of tyranny against men. And you have this ragtag group of pretty ignoble characters. Yeah. I, do, I guess we see that at the very end of the Omaha beach scene. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, again, despite that opening shot and this appearing to be a very nationalist movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. we do see two soldiers be very cruel when um, two, not, two German sh- soldiers are um, raising their hands to surrender. Two soldiers shoot them anyway. Exactly. Yeah, so again, you're right. They are a little ignoble. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not exactly the you know salt of the earth, <laughs> apple pie eating portrait mm-hmm. of American soldiers that you might expect. And there are several scenes where they're shown to be very callous. Mm-hmm. In the face of kind of death, there's one scene about halfway through the movie where they meet up with the platoon that Ryan is supposed to be with, mm-hmm. and they just have a bag of dog tags. Yeah, they've so suffered major casualties. There's been a, mm-hmm. there's been a plane crash, and they're just like going through, like secretly hoping that Ryan is in the pile just so they can all like go back to where they want. Yeah, be. just so the mission can stop and. And so they're like looking through, being very callous, and I was like, "You think this guy's yeah, making bets and things like yeah, that?" Yeah, making jokes as the remaining platoon is just watching them. Yeah, and it's up to the medic, uh, played by Giovanni uh, Ribisi. Yes, uh, Mr. Entourage, <laughs> to kind of walk up and be like, uh, "You guys, fucking assholes! What are you doing?" Like, yeah. you know, he's like telling him, "Cut it out." And it's Tom Hanks, whose character who has to kind of say, "Like, we're wasting our time. He's clearly not here. Let's keep going." I think I got a winner. What are you talking about? Ryan. Ryan. Take a look at that relationship. You know what? You're a genius. You really are. R I E N N E. Three N, and it's French. All right? You know what that means? It means nothing. Uh, what beats three of a kind? I got, got shit a here. I got all guys from New York. You're always oh. You need a hand with that? Uh, I get a full house. Full house, he's got. I got you, Pete. I got the straight plug. Oh, see, no, you were, you were looking at my tags. You're cheating, you know? Yeah, yeah. Ryan. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I think Giovanni Ribisi's performance is my favorite. Oh, absolutely. He's got he's yeah. got a few good scenes. There's one mm-hmm. wherein um, there there's a quiet moment. They're about to rest in a in a holiday in a <laughs> in a, <laughs> a destroyed church, bombed out town. Yeah, yeah, bombed out town. They've only got two hours to sleep, and mm-hmm. he actually has this really interesting monologue, like how you know, he reminisces of how annoyed he used to be with his mother, but now. 
like actually misses those moments or like misses that quality time with her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, spoiler alert, his character eventually falls in battle. Mm-hmm. And again, it's very powerful. It's very kind of grueling as they're all kind of, he's the medic and <laughs> they're basically asking him, it's like, what do we do in this situation? Yeah, what, because... do, yeah, what do we need to do? Please tell us what we need to do. To and you. Yeah, he's, deep down he knows he's not going to make it, so he just asks for more morphine. Morphine, yeah. And, and you know, all of their hands are kind of laying on him very, you know, powerfully yeah. just trying he's to crying, hold the boy yeah, back. He's crying for his mother. It's a... And he's crying for that. Well, and even though that monologue sounds very movie-esque, kind of breaks the verisimilitude a little bit, it works because one of the prevailing themes in this movie that I really appreciate is like air of guilt. And part of his character is he confesses to this guilt that he didn't take the time he had with his mother seriously. Mm-hmm. And now there's a chance that he might not get that back. And then going along with that, with Tom Hanks's character, you know, he's leading these men into this very dangerous situation and he's already lost so many. Yeah, And he tries to justify it to himself with his second-in-command. Like, you know, I always tell myself, like, every man who's died under my watch, it must have saved two or three more or something like that. And he eventually confesses, like, I've lost 94 men under my command. What does that make? Like, a thousand lives saved? Like, he knows mm-hmm. that's not true, but it's like he has to justify it to himself. And then eventually this leads into Private Ryan, who has survivor's guilt because, again, these seven men risk their lives to save just him. Yeah, and also his brothers are dead. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's like, why does he get spared? Yeah. So I wish, I do like the fact that that underlying theme is played throughout the movie through different characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it does enough with it. Again, like, going back to the whole, like, you know, gritty war drama versus, like, sanctimonious celebration of America's fighting spirit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on in this movie, and all of it just feels a little too half-baked. Well, yeah, I think that's part partly because of the juggling of tones that Steven Spielberg is trying to do. Exactly. I think part of, part of him wants to do a sanitized, you know, 1940s uh, nationalist version of uh, Americans being heroes, mm-hmm. but another part of him wants to be the 90s, not, not, not cynical maybe, but, you know, <laughs> 90s true-to-life version of world war ii that was violent and visceral and you know not not as noble as it was portrayed in the media exactly yeah and i think i think right. that's where it kind of that's where it kind of comes to the fore mm-hmm. yeah like you talk you talk about communicating that themes like sometimes these themes have to come across very obviously mm-hmm. so i think it it comes across maybe too obviously in um adam goldberg's character yeah, he plays. Kind of... He plays a, a Jewish character who obviously is aware of what the of the oppression the Jews are facing under the Nazi regime, and so every soldier he faces, whether they're captured or they've been killed, he's like, "Aha! I'm I'm showing you now." Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's it's like a it's like another it's like another like tonal juggling act where like a few balls are dropped and you kind of see the you know you kind of see where where this movie's kind of faltering a bit. And then you get those kind of weird moments of levity. At one point, they do run into another platoon looking for Private Ryan. A Private Ryan comes up, played by Nathan Fillion. Yeah, they get huge. I know. An actor not known for his dramatic chops. No. <laughs> he gets told his brothers are dead, and he's crying, and he, it's, it's a very harrowing moment. Then he admits, like, how did they die? And he tells him, like, they died in combat. And he's like, how? They're both in grade school. Yeah. 
It's a different Private Ryan. It's not the same Private Ryan. Same uh, James F. and James F. Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that's missing is like a wah wah. But I again, actually... this is this is a war movie. <laughs> Why are you including like a lame joke like that? Yeah, I I didn't see it that way. Okay. It I, inter- I interpret so it a little differently. I think part I... of it is actually Fillion's performance, which again surprised me. <laughs> Because I'm picturing him being the cool, you know, Joss Whedon collaborator. Yeah, he's he's playing kind of a, a podunk idiot. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it that way actually. I I could have seen I could have seen how you interpreted it as as a as a again another obvious joke in what should be a gritty war drama. Well, I know, I I understand the impetus to do like moments of levity because mm-hmm. again, this movie is very grim. So I can kind of understand, like, you want to break that tension yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. I don't think you had to go that far, maybe. No. Maybe that's what bothered me. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that scene works better than, say, um, again, uh, Private Upham. No, sorry, Corporal Upham uh, taking all the stuff. Oh, it all fell out of his bag. Or, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, th- Captain Miller can't figure out the espresso machine. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very weird scene. Especially because it's like, look at the state it's in. I think around it is like blown to smithereens. You have this like... It's actually, yeah, it's surprisingly clear. Again, it's studying, doesn't it's work, a studying but... contrast, John, that's why. Ugh. <laughs> well, can we get to, I don't know, while we're... I Okay, let's... While we're talking about that scene, because mm-hmm. it's prior to kind of the final act, which is um, takes place in a fictional town called Ramel. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where... Actually, I, f- I felt like the biggest clash because we have that great opening on D Day, mm-hmm. which I think is also very impactful because it's true. Mm-hmm. But the final act takes place. It's kind of this like uh, it, it really become it really becomes the Men on a Mission movie, mm-hmm. and it's like oh no, we're pinned down by them Nazis. Yeah, and it's completely fictional. It's completely fictionalized, and so and that- it, it it feels a little over the top because they're like facing six tanks. Yeah. They make it that point to be like, you know, we're facing two of these tanks and two yeah. of these tanks. It's yeah. like, well, how do, how do we fight back? Well, let's do this with our weapons and this, and we'll set yeah. you up here and we'll yeah, improvise it, it, this. Yeah. yeah, it becomes like Home Alone, but <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, <laughs> well, no, you but do get you do get that nice quiet scene beforehand, where it's like they know the the German troops are approaching and they still have time, so they're all kind of preparing, and then after they've all prepared everything, they just kind of, like, sit down and listen to the music for a while and just kind of, like, shoot the shit. Yeah, they're listening to a record player. Yeah, that's a nice scene. Yeah. I do kind of appreciate that, yeah. you know, It's just prior to that, where, it, to me, it felt like the most... I get a huge disservice to what you want to say in terms of honoring the troops and portraying the harsh reality of World War II. Yeah, you're right. It's, by it's set a, by setting up this kind of again, it's just prior to that quiet scene where they're all kind of conversing. Mm-hmm. But it's again, this I think is where the movie really does itself a disservice mm-hmm. to the reality of World War II by really reverting to a, a fictional men on a mission story. Mm-hmm. And maybe if um, the writer Robert Rodat could kind of fold it into a real event or a real again something something really impactful that happened in World War Two. I could appreciate it more, mm-hmm. but by kind of like just making it up and really yeah. kind of reverting to the, and again, making what it you feel expect so, what you expect yeah. out of a Hollywoodized movie, I think was kind of the greatest disservice. You're absolutely right because it does you know it feels like the climax to a movie, mm-hmm. like everything's kind of set up for these men to heroically go into battle and save the day against all odds, and you know we've already gotten that we've already gotten the landing at Normandy. Yeah. So it can't help but feel, even though personally for me, 
I still it still worked for me because now we've been with these characters for so long we're a little more invested in them. Especially with Upton. So, you're right. Yeah. Because Get he it. gets he gets most of the screen time throughout this uh scene because he's shown to be a coward. I mm. I really related to Upton because like that's who I would be in this situation. Absolutely, me too. <laughs> I'd be a complete I, yeah, coward. Think, yeah, and it's a tribute to Jeremy Stevens's performance too. Jeremy Davies. Jeremy Davies, you're right. Yeah. yeah. You, you called him Upton. <laughs> I called him Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> well, I think he's a football player. Anyway. <laughs> you're right. Getting getting back to what I like, I do like th- there's a quiet moment. They're waiting. They're, they would need to defend a bridge. Mm-hmm. Again, Tom Hanks' character and Ryan, they do find Ryan. He's played okay. by Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> Funny because he was he was, they wanted to cast an unknown, but the year prior he won an Oscar for best screenplay and then became like an overnight star. Exactly. And the funny thing is, he has this one little anecdote which sounds very much like another anecdote that happened in uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. <laughs> which I, yeah, I think Matt Damon improvised it. Exactly, and it's pretty much just like <laughs> him talking to Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. But what's what's great is how it actually connects. He says that's the last day the four of, the four of us as brothers were together because our brother the oldest brother Danny went off to basic training the next day. Mm-hmm. So again, it's another beautiful moment, mm. which makes you again like you said root for the characters and connect with them. Yeah. Well, the other kind of interesting thing is when things are really going tits up towards the end. Like again, they start you know picking that, up. That's the, the clinical army term. Tits up. Yeah, exactly. Tits up. Um, you know the guys are falling like flies. It's really down to Upton, Upton, uh, Upton. Uh, I'll just use the character. I'll just use the actors' names. Yeah. It's down to like Damon Hanks and Davies. Yet we get one kind of quick scene of Ryan, you know, uh, Matt Damon's character, and he's crying. Mm-hmm. He's like kind of freaking out, like because again, like this feels like the end. Yeah, and again, like I kind of like these touches to show that you know, like. These men weren't just like stone-faced, you know, American heroes. Like they were real human beings. They had fears, and they they were as fri- afraid of death as anybody else. Yeah, yeah. And so I like I like those kind of neat touches. Again, does it do it enough? Maybe not. Does it feel a little half baked? Maybe because again, it's very quick. It's mm-hmm. like a quick insert shot. Yeah, you barely have time to register yeah. it. Based to be, on all yeah, the to be fair, you also missed Edward Burns' character. character. Yeah, you also missed. Edward Burns' character, who just yeah, almost I, deserted a yeah, scene exactly. earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't remember the actor's name or yeah. the character's name. So. <laughs> Who's the Brooklyn guy? Hey. Hey. <laughs> He's got Brooklyn on his jacket. Yeah. <laughs> In case what you missed it. <laughs> so I guess I've changed some. Sometimes I wonder if I've changed so much, my wife is even going to recognize me whenever it is I get back to her. And how I'll ever be able to to tell her about days like today. Uh, Ryan, I don't know anything about Ryan. I don't care. Man means nothing to me. It's just a name. But if you know, if going to Ramel and finding him so he can go home, if that earns me the right to get back to my wife, well then. Then that's my mission. You want to leave? You want to go off and fight the war? All right. All right. I won't stop you. 
I'll even put in the paperwork. Okay. So we also need to talk about that previous scene. So his character almost deserts. Well, yeah, the, the setup is um, they face a Nazi stronghold. Mm -hmm. or actually, actually, I should explain. A German soldier stronghold. Yeah, it's an old bombed-out uh, radar yeah. base. And they have the choice to either go around it or kind of cut straight through it and take out these soldiers. Mm -hmm. Tom Hanks' captain decides, let's take him out, to exactly. the objection of everybody else in his squadron. Because, mm -hmm. again, in their minds, the mission is go save Private Ryan. Mm -hmm. In his mind is our, fight the Germans. Yeah, win the war. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, they go into battle, and the medic dies. Giovanni yeah. Rabisi, going back to that kind of great Wade, scene. Wade, yeah, we mentioned it. Great scene. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now, at this point, now they've lost two men trying to save one guy. Mm -hmm. They had previously lost uh, Vin Diesel in a scene very reminiscent of Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right about that. <laughs> but that's I don't I don't think I was too intentional, but yeah, that's beside the point. Yeah. Um, Most importantly, there's a prop that keeps getting passed between characters, and it's a note to his father. Exactly. Um, so, at this point, uh, what's the, what's the character's name? Uh, which one? The one who deserts, almost deserts. Uh, <laughs> you just named Ed, Edward Burns. Edward Burns is yeah. <laughs> Edward Burns uh, wants a dessert. He's had enough of this. Again, they've already lost two guys trying to save this one guy. He just doesn't seem it's worth it anymore. So mm -hmm. he he just, he's going to go a wall. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Sizemore, second in command, Sergeant Harvath, you know, threatens him with a pistol, saying like, "You get you get back in line, soldier." Mm -hmm. You know, again, this is the big tense moment where uh, Hanks to undercut everything, kind of admits, like, what's the betting pool at for what I do in real life? Up to 300? I'm an English teacher. Yeah. From That's Pennsylvania. When, yeah, he reveals everything, kind of undercuts everything, kind of brings everyone back together. So the other weird thing about this scene is they actually take a prisoner. And it's the only time we get any kind of interaction with a German soldier. Well, only prolonged, yeah. Yeah. Because, we, yeah, we have these flashes any uh, well, any real meaningful quote unquote meaningful yeah. time with a German soldier, mm -hmm. and it's very one dimensional. You think so? Yeah, because again, it he gets captured, and the German soldier. Yeah, <laughs> damn it, that word again. Yeah, this German soldier is revealed to be a sniveling coward. He, I don't, you know, I, I don't think he, so. I mean. Well, oh, John, absolutely. Uh, some some members of our American platoon are also sniffling cowards, like <laughs> Edward Burns's character. I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think obviously, again, in terms of who we the characters we identify with, I would probably be a sniffling coward <laughs> in the face of death as well. Yeah, I guess that's true. All right. Yeah, that's a good. Point. Again, I was praising this movie for making the Americans look kind of ignoble. Yeah. And then here's this German guy who, the moment he gets you know, captured, he's kind of like, oh, oh, fuck Hitler, come on, let's, uh, America, land of the free, home of the brave. Yeah, so. he, he, yeah he, to me, he sounded like Robin Williams, which was stunning. Like, <laughs> I was wondering, did they get him to the ADR's voice or something? Yeah, exactly. Uh, again, it's one of those kind of, like, minor moments of levity, like, just how quickly he turns on a dime once he's threatened. Mm -hmm. And just kind of, like, over how over the top he goes to, like, prove that he's like, no, 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 I, I'm cool, I'm one of you guys, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, you mentioned Steamboat Mickey. Yeah. yeah. Um, and which I, I, think it's, I think it's okay. I thought it was a pretty good scene to show how merciful Captain Miller could be. Because they, they do let him go. Yeah, so they let him go. And it's also... Uh, when when the other soldiers wanted to kill him for killing yeah. Wade. Well, it's also Corporal Upham, who's also like, 
we should also let him go. It's also one of his he's votes to let him go as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So going back to the because final... he surrendered. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the final battle scene, after Upham and the Americans have regained the ground, he he kind of gets a gun and he kind of points it at the other soldiers and they all surrender as well. And we find the same soldiers there. Yeah, that I did, that I didn't quite make. Maybe it's because the the character is pretty anonymous. I mean, he's just well, of, you know, it's like yeah, close you're not to, nothing yeah, distinctive you're not, about him. Yeah, you're not supposed to know until he surrenders. Yeah, and so once they surrender, he recognizes him, and again the soldier tries to play it off like, "Hey, remember me?" Mm-hmm. And Upham shoots him, and it's a it's a weird moment. I can't really make heads or tails of. Yeah, me either. I, up until this point, we've seen Upham be nothing but a coward. He can barely, like... Well, not nothing image. but a coward. He's been smart, too. He's <laughs> <laughs> been effuse and intellectual as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's just a survivor. Yeah. Evolutionarily speaking, he, he deserves to keep going. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, maybe it's to to demonstrate his his muscle and mercilessness in this moment. But is that meant to be a good thing or a bad thing? Because I think you can read it either way. I don't know. Yeah, it is kind of ambivalent. Yeah, it is. You're right. It is strange, especially in a 170 minute movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, is it like? Is it meant to be a heroic moment where he kind of gets the nerve to finally kill this soldier that he should have killed earlier, or is it to show that you know he's gone over to the dark side and he's become the merciless killer? Like, so it's either like. Either the movie is playing this ambiguity, or the movie itself is confused. No, I think I think that ambiguity is intentional. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's it's I don't know. Like I, don't, I can't really make heads or tails of that scene. No. Again, like again, casting my mind as a filmmaker, <laughs> mm-hmm. and not necessarily as a, as a historian or a person who really wants to honor the sacrifice of the men and women in World War Two. I can I could sit my I could see myself in the editing bay and saying like what what exactly are we si- trying to say here and can we cut it out? Yeah, because you definitely could. You could just say like have him point at the the German squadron and say like hey let's go mm-hmm. and it could be just a triumphant moment there. But yeah, the the w- introducing that confusion, seeing a normally um, seeing a normally merciful character now be merciful merciless and hard. Yeah, it, uh, it you're right. It is a very confusing moment. Well, and it, again, it kind of goes, again, harkens back to that earlier scene. Again, at the Beach of Normandy, we've seen his fellow troops shoot people who are surrendering. Mm-hmm. And again, at that point, we're supposed to think it was bad. Yeah. So part of me feels like it was meant to kind of show him going over to the dark side. But again, it's at this triumphant moment. So, mm, I don't know. I just, yeah, I that's, that's so strange, because it is, it is a very effective sequence. Mm. In spite of my reservation about the whole setup and it being, you know, becoming a, a rote, you know, World War Two movie that you yeah. expect a Hollywood, a Hollywood eyes sanitized, you know, a uh, one-sided portrait of of World War Two, which it wasn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, the sequence itself is very thrilling. Well, yeah, I don't lay any of this at the feet of Steven Spielberg. Obviously, yeah, I, I, I do, I do, because this is his baby. You know, <laughs> I guess so, but it's like he didn't write the script. I guess not. Well, yeah, but yeah. he's a director. He's a, I, okay, fine. <laughs> I know. Yeah. See, I this is something I don't like about Mr. Spielberg. He'll always say like, um, this, this especially happened after uh, the disaster that was Indiana Jones Four, <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I, in every interview, he was like, "Well, George Lucas wanted to do that." Oh, okay. You think? You think? I'm like, if, yeah, but 
Steve, Stevie, my Stevie, my boy, he's not he's not behind the camera, is he? You are have you, script approval too. Are you implying Mr. Spielberg uh, loves to take the credit but push off the blame? Hmm. Is that what no, you're I, I think no, I think he. I wish I don't like the auteur theory. I don't like the idea that you know the the director is the final say. I think filmmaking is a very collaborative process, but mm-hmm. I think he defers too much to the screenplay and just kind of films it as written. Um, part of part of that's just his process. I mean, he just likes to get on set and go. Mm-hmm. And so you know maybe maybe he could have you know poured over the page a little bit and seeing you know what we could what we could add and what we could take out. Mm-hmm. But. I think the sequence is very good, but you're right. Like it doesn't it doesn't stick the landing. A in what in Upham's actions and how we're supposed to feel about them, mm-hmm. but also B a, a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, because they're all pinned down. You said um, we see Private Ryan uh, huddled up and crying. Tom Sizemore's character is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tom Hanks's character has been shot and is you know desperately trying to sh- with his handgun he's shooting at a tank with his handgun again it looks des- it all looks desperately lost but yeah like zoom uh, uh, an F- American fighter plane takes out the tank and everything's everyone's saved mm-hmm. yeah. and that that to me felt like a bit of a cop out exactly yeah. well it's also or again yeah again if you want to Honor the troops, like why? <laughs> faceless Air Force, you know, comes in and saves the day. <laughs> well, and again, going back to Tom Hanks, the whole point of that scene you think is that he's using his pistol and he's trying to shoot out like the last explosive on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And again, which hand is he using? He's using his right hand, the one that's been shaking the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So again, you think it's this triumphant moment where he's finally going to steady it and get it in time to kind of save the day. And then again, that's completely undercut. No, yeah. And I mean, maybe that's the point. Maybe, yeah, it's again, it's suburbing your expectations. Yeah, that's, but... uh, yeah. Well, it, there's a misdirection there because it looks like, mm-hmm. yeah, he does, <laughs> he did shoot the explosive that took out the tank. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. But also at the very end, another little misdirection because we see, we go back to um, the man at the cemetery in Normandy. Yes. Yeah, so that initial scene, you're led to believe that that old man at the cemetery was Tom Hanks. Yes. That's based on a cut of, or at least the close-up of their eyes. Mm-hmm. That's very similar. Um, get, the movie has kind of an omniscient perspective, because so it could also be Upham, it could also be uh, Edward Burns' character. Mm-hmm. And then it's revealed in the final scene that that was actually Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. And, I don't, yeah, I was going to ask if you felt that, that kind of misdirection, was that, was that was that strictly necessary? I mean, do you think it was effective, or...? Um, I thought it kind of worked. I didn't like the morphing that they did. That's I think true, a, yeah. I think a, a smash cut would have been just as fine. Yeah. Instead, what they do is they have, you know, a low angle shot of Matt Damon, and then it slowly morphs yeah, him into the old face. Man. Yeah. yeah, and uh, it felt a little cheesy to me. Yeah. That's... But again, going to the, the this again. Be, yeah, this being the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, this movie, Michael Jackson's black or white video. <laughs> yeah, this movie obviously, like, leans hard to cheesiness sometimes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh... I think in concept it kind of works, but in execution, I think it, it falls a little flat. You're right, because it to me it signaled like, oh, this is a movie. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a technique that movies do, is misdirect and kind of play around with your emotions and expectations and things like that. And yeah, it diminished it diminished the reality that. Again, I really I really wanted this movie to be a, a really harsh visceral portrait of. Mm-hmm. Of what it what it was like to be a soldier in World War Two, but instead it keeps take it keeps taking it away with um you know trying to trying to be a conventional movie. Yeah, it still has to go back to the Tom Brokaw Greatest Generation territory. Yeah, 
And again, I don't know why you're throwing Tom Brokaw at the <laughs> Because that's what he fire. loves to write about. He loves to write about World War II. I know, but it comes from a good place. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying. <laughs> He's number one in my book when I think World War II writers. I think Tom Brokaw. Mm-hmm. Or at least main cheerleaders of, let's yeah. say that. And, uh, well, the other weird thing about that scene is it's also kind of a continuity error. Because at the beginning, we see him kind of collapse, and then his family kind of come around him. But then in that final scene, his family is kind of still pushed off to the background. If it, yeah, well, if there's anything Steven Spielberg does not care about, it's continuity. <laughs> this is absolutely true. Which is fine. Neither do a lot of great filmmakers, so I don't care. <laughs> Going back to kind of... Well, actually, to be fair, to be fair, yeah, he collapses in the middle of the cemetery, but he, we don't necessarily know that he's in front of Captain Miller's grave. I guess that's true. Yeah. So in between, he could have moved to the grave and gotten away mm-hmm. from his family. So yeah, I guess that's true. Uh huh. See, <laughs> all right, fair enough. Everything right with <laughs> my family is with me today. They wanted to come with me. To be honest with you, I I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day. I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I earned what all of you have done for me. Part of the reason why I think this movie struggles so much is that the fact that it takes place during World War II. When I kind of think back to my favorite war movies, Mm -hmm. uh, favorite being a weird term because it's hard to describe a a war movie as being really good. Um, Two of my favorite war movies are Full Metal Jacket, which we've already previously talked about, Mm -hmm. and All's Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. And part of what makes those movies so strong is the ambiguity of it. These aren't uh, black and white conflicts, you know, pure good versus pure evil. These are, you know, messy conflicts where you get all sides. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see how the innate kind of horror that humanity is capable of. And I think that's a story. You can tell that this movie kind of wants to do that and explore that a little bit. But it's harder to do that when you're set during World War II because, again, you're fighting Nazis. That's true. I guess you're you're right about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. World War Two carries the most cultural weight behind it mm-hmm. because it's been covered so much. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's probably the most covered war in terms of media. Exactly. A because it involves so much theater and literally involved the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know the American Civil War, the Vietnam War. Or, yeah, and again, know, it's like Crimea that, War or something like that. You know. Yeah. Well, and again, it's also it's got the most media coverage because it's the most simple in terms of narrative yeah especially from american perspective yeah yeah, you have the clearly distinct allies versus Mm -hmm. the axis 
it's, you know, the forces of democracy versus the forces of tyranny. Yeah. Like, Kurt Vonnegut even wrote about this. It's like, you know, World War II is just too perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, so maybe it's not the best avenue for, like, kind of an ambiguous take. So would you rather they, like, not touch on those at all? Would you rather they... We obviously mentioned we obviously mentioned our problems with um, the arc of the Upham character, mm-hmm. but would you rather they they remove those elements or play them up more? Like what? what would I, you... I I wish that they played the ambiguity a little bit more, okay. which I kind of like. Again, we only get that one scene with the German uh, soldier, but you know, also it's not really the focus of the movie. The focus is supposed to be this American platoon. So where do you fit that in? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just again. Half baked. That's really the only way I can describe this movie. Still, a very good movie. Yeah. Still, absolutely gorgeous direction from the master Steven Spielberg. But from a technical level, that's really where it only excels. And then you look beneath the story surface, and it's like, doesn't quite hold up for me. So it's, it's a slightly shaky foundation. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a big compliment sandwich. You know. <laughs> okay. I love the intention. I love. That we're going to honor the brave men and women who served in World War II. Mm-hmm. I love the technical aspect, just the technical skill that Steven Spielberg brought to it, especially in that Omaha Beach sequence. Um, you're right. Everything else in terms of having to share space with a schmaltzy, you know, typical World War II movie doesn't mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Um, but overall, this is still a, a great movie. Mm. So that's that's kind of my compliment sandwich for for, okay. for Saving Private Ryan. Um, not perfect, but again, very good. And um, I think certainly a, a worthy of the genre, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If we're going to narrow it down to just being a war movie, mm-hmm. it, it excels at that. This is absolutely in the top ten. Yeah. Or at least top ten I've seen. Mm-hmm. Granted, I haven't seen a lot of war movies because I'm a big fat pussy. And <laughs> I don't like fighting or blood. So there you go. Yeah. Um, me, me either. I, did, I do love men with guns, but, you know... <laughs> I do like watching men's with guns on a big screen. <laughs> there you go. Um, and maybe that's, I think that's another th- part of the struggle with this podcast mm-hmm. is that I'm very late to the game watching these movies. Yeah. And I can imagine seeing this movie on the big screen and just having my brain explode. That I definitely miss that. I mean, exactly. this, we were... 10, 11 years old when this movie came out. Obviously, our parents would never. <laughs> I mean, I mean would have let us watch an R rated movie, much less one as as viscerally violent as this one. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, des- I desperately did want to see it on the big screen. And I think that's part of the reason it became such a box office success. I mean, it, it, it was kind of required viewing on a big screen. Yeah, this is definitely an experience that you need to see larger than life. And I'm sure that's mm-hmm. why people gave it the accolades that it got at the mm-hmm. time. And also, I think part of the reason why... I mean, do people still talk about this movie? Do you think it's still in the, kind of in the cultural zeitgeist? I think so. I think, though, as we become even more cynical, I think people will kind of come around to our perspective where mm-hmm. it's a it wants to be a, a tribute to American troops by being um, by showing the reality of the war, but it's got to share space with, you know, schmaltzy, you know, sentimental Steven Spielberg. Exactly. <laughs> Give that cliche, you know... Americans mm-hmm. fought the good fight yeah. version of the war that we're used to getting. Yes. But also it was like horribly violent, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, uh, people were capable of cruelty on both sides. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of the, that's kind of the summation of it. Mm. I think that yeah. wraps it up nicely. Yep. Mm-hmm. God, we're so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who's really good. The American troops. That's true. 
I mean, both our grandparents, uh, grandfathers fought in World War II. Absolutely. Yep. So obviously we we'll want to live up to our legacy. John, let's earn it. Yes. With a little bit of spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. <laughs> Again, I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound flip. <laughs> it's hard. It's just our natural inclination. It is. It's I just our apologi- Yes, we apologize if if we appear disrespectful. That is not our intention. No, absolutely not. <laughs> even even though we excel at, at appearing, <laughs> even though we excel at appearing disrespectful, mm-hmm. it's not our intention. Absolutely not. But what do you have for spotlight this week, Greg? Well, John, I mentioned you mentioned that scene in the Omaha Beach sequence where a uh, character is uh, looking for his arm. Mm-hmm. So that is a clear reference to the movie I want to spotlight because that's it's a it's again so obvious in the mind of film snobs like myself. <laughs> um, the Akira Kurosawa epic, uh, Ron. Oh, okay, yes. This Have you heard of, few, of this movie? Yeah, this is one of the few ones I haven't seen yet, but I've mm-hmm. been wanting to. Yeah, this is kind of his final act. He was in his eighties at this point. Had been making movies for over forty years. Mm-hmm. It's shot in sumptuous color. It's a it's an adaptation of a kind of loose adaptation of a uh, King Lear mm-hmm. uh, about a uh, in, set in feudal Japan about a king dividing his power between his three sons. In in King Lear, it's obviously daughters. Here, it's sons. Mm-hmm. And so, Ron means chaos, and that's what this story essentially devolves into. Again, in one battle sequence, um, one of the most striking images is a, a soldier is actually sitting on a on a stoop, uh, bawling his eyes out and holding his like left arm in his hand. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, but another one of my favorite sequences is actually the king is forced that his castle is burned and he's actually forced out of it. And it's actually one of the most. Again, you talk about the kind of a, a, the reality of a, of a sequence that it looks like he's literally inside a burning building. <laughs> and obviously that's part of that's part of Kurosawa's virtue, like obviously putting his his actors in incredible danger <laughs> just to get the shot. <laughs> Worth it. Yes. <laughs> Again, a heavily fictionalized story, so I'd say unlike Saving Private Ryan, it's not exactly, you know, a, a, a an authentic portrait of uh, of war, but still a very effective uh piece. I I do it's not my favorite Kurosawa movie. I I obviously still rated them like ten out of ten, like every other movie of his I've seen. <laughs> well, I'm not as familiar with his work as you are. Obviously, I've seen no. Rashomon, I've seen Seven Samurai, which is way up there, and mm-hmm. I think that's part of I think that's part of the reason why I don't explore the rest of his movies because I've already seen like his masterpiece. Seven Samurai is an absolutely gorgeous movie, yeah. and I'm just afraid nothing else can live up to that. <laughs> um, you're right about that. Ron does not live up to that, in my okay. opinion. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, um, he does. He does some different things, which actually make it feel a little more detached and a little colder than because he's a, he's a very I think um, like Steven Spielberg. He he brings a lot of sentimentality to this character, but the way he shoots Ron with kind of these wide shots, it's it it kind of loses a lot of that intimacy and, and emotional connection. But still, in terms of being a grand vision, it really works. Gotcha. Especially with color, like color, like this wasn't his first color film. His first color f- film was um, a movie called. <laughs> Again, I just sound pretentious saying this, but a movie called Dadeskaden. Okay. Onomatopoeia. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> like it's amazing. Just another tribute to his skill. Like he'd been making black and white movies for more than half of his career. He's like, I'm gonna shoot in color now, and he's great at it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he's already got the he. I don't think it matters if it's in black and white or color. If you've got the chops, you've got the chops. <laughs> so yeah, I. 
if you know composition, you know composition. You That's know. true. Yeah. It's like photography. That's still it's definitely worth checking out. Okay. Yes. Again, if you have th- you obviously if you have three hours for Saving Private Ryan, you can spare three hours for Ron as well. Okay. And Seven Samurai. Seven yes, Samurai. That I think too, yeah. Approaches. That's three and a half hours. Ugh. But definitely worth the investment. Yeah. <laughs> Not as economical though as my favorite film, which is Rashomon, which is only eighty-six minutes. <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> and also to me the most engaging, the most emotionally engaging. So. Okay. Seek that out, number one. In fact, just look through his, all, his whole filmography. If you exactly. have, uh, if you have a year of your life, you know. <laughs> Again, a week, you're done. Yep. We're we're exploring the masters mm-hmm. in this episode. Yep. Well, maybe not so much from my spotlight. <laughs> yeah, John, what is your spotlight? Uh, okay, so it's a very tenuous connection. I have to walk you through my thinking process. Go ahead. A trailer dropped this week for a movie coming out in November. Mm-hmm. It's called. Murder on the Orient Express. Yes, go on. And caused a quite a quite a stir, a lot of buzz. <laughs> this is highly anticipated movie coming out this fall because it's got a all star cast, mm-hmm. and it stars with a huge it, pedi- with a huge pedigree too. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's directed and starring <laughs> the great Kenneth Branagh. Yes. So it got I me, see where you're going now. I see where you're going now. It got me thinking: what other great movies has he starred in and also directed at the same time? Well, I have to shared some love on his three-hour adaptation of Hamlet. <laughs> Amazingly enough, we both went with elaborate, ridiculously elaborate <laughs> epics. So, I don't want to give him too much credit. <laughs> you don't want to give Kenneth Branagh too much credit? Yeah. Why, John? Okay, so here's the thing about Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. He, he comes from a theater background. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He loves adapting Shakespeare. Yeah. And so because of that, his directional style is very focused on set pieces and just the way the camera moves around a very elaborate set, which is what I think drew him to doing... The production, yeah, the production design. Yeah, what drew him to Murder on the Orient Express. You've got a whodunit, a very confined space, a very opulent confined space, and Mm -hmm. he loves opulence, as is proven by Hamlet, (laughs) (laughs) which is filmed in, like, a castle in Oxfordshire and... It, it, you'd think it's Versailles or something. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the you know to be or not to be soliloquy is like in this grand hall of mirrors. It's 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 just head to tails, just like an absolutely gorgeous film shot in seventy millimeter, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think he shot uh, Murder on the Orient Express in uh, sixty five millimeter. He he did he? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought he went to the, the dark side and shot digitally. Uh, it's but, hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. I, but again, maybe I'm just looking at Cinderella and how, how he directed that on autopilot. But oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Thor too. Uh, touch this. Touch that. You know, you can tell in when he takes these roles. Like, sorry, let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. You can tell when he takes these jobs, like which ones he's really invested in and which ones he just kind of is, like phoning it in. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I kind of like don't want to give him too much credit. And even with Hamlet, even though it's an absolutely gorgeous production, it's like, does he kind of capture the spirit? Eh, I'll leave that up to the scholars to decide. Okay. <laughs> is it the best adaptation of Hamlet? Probably not. But I mean, I love it to death. So. <laughs> no, and I'm well, John. We can't. Tra- time travel back to the 15th, or sorry, we can't time travel back to the 17th century, I guess to the Globe true. Theater. <laughs> Plus, we'll never see Laurence Olivier do it, so who knows? No, that's true. Yeah. So, well, technically, we can. He did film a version of it, too. Okay, fine. All right. Don't <laughs> undercut Olympus me. picture in 1948. Uh, great, great, great. Okay, mm-hmm. fine, yep. fine, fine. <laughs> Just have to undercut me, don't you? Yes, I do. 
but I highly recommend it. And again, I'm super looking forward to Murder on the Orient Express. Absolutely. That stash on him. Oh, it's so good. It doesn't even need to match his hair. Yeah. <laughs> and again, all-star cast. Yeah. We've got Michelle Pfeiffer. We've got Josh Gad. Daisy Ridley. <laughs> uh, Johnny Depp. Which... <laughs> Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, shut your ears off for 30 seconds. Boop, boop, boop. Ready? <laughs> if you don't like Donnie Depp, don't worry. You won't be around for long. Spoiler alert to an Agatha Christie novel that's oh, been out for six decades. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's called Murder on the Orient Express. What do you expect? I, he could stick around. He's, he's so sniveling, isn't he? <laughs> he is. Which makes him perfect cast, you know, <laughs> no matter what character he's in in that, in that movie. <laughs> I think he's playing the same character that he played in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. He's secretly a dark wizard. Okay. I heard about that cameo with you. Anyway. It's... it's, I mean, really that... Okay, I I hesitate to call it a cameo because Mm -hmm. all the big roles in that movie, like John Voight and, uh, like... Eddie Colin Renate, Farrell. Colin yes. Farrell. It, it all felt like, okay, we just need these actors on contract for the franchise we're building off this. Because mm-hmm. John Voight's in it for like two seconds. And again, he's playing like a big wig, so it's just it's just an excuse to have him on hand for future movies, it felt like. Okay. Yeah. Because this is how Hollywood operates these days. Hmm. <sighs> but in any event, if you have a long weekend, mm-hmm. like a Memorial Day or Independence Day, which is coming up. Yep. Again, take take... Nine hours out of your life. <laughs> Just do a massive movie marathon. Yes. Saving Private Ryan, Ron, and mm-hmm. Hamlet. And Shoah. Yeah. Just throw Shoah in there. That too. Yeah, I wanted to mention Shoah, because I feel like that's that's a real, you know, interpretation of... Or not a real interpretation. Obviously, it is a real interpretation. <laughs> it's a documentary, Greg. It yeah, can't get I any know, more no, real. I know. <laughs> but that's a real, honest portrait of the horrors of World War II. And the, I've, what I've seen of Shoah and how powerful it is, like, you can see the filmmaker insisting that this story has to be told. Yeah. And the, there's, you know, as much as we, you know, demerit, uh, as much as we like uh, Saving Private Ryan, its demerits are in how sanitized it can sometimes feel. The show mm-hmm. is not that. It's yeah. it's definitely required viewing. I just brought it up because it's like nine hours long, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> okay. That too. Yeah. Actually, yeah. You know what? Forget those other movies. Watch show instead. Yeah. I feel like I feel like we've done a, a good service here, John. Ugh. We're just full of good ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if now, you want to fill us with good ideas, yes. so that we if may you want take to do a service them, for us, <laughs> if so we can take them and not give you credit. <laughs> no, we'll give you credit. Actually, we'll read your name on the air. Oh, of course. Yeah. Unless you don't want us to. The digital air. Yeah. Yes. We'll read your name, and if you can provide your number and address <laughs> and uh, bank account, because but we yeah, just can't... if you want to get done, that won't happen at all. But if okay. you want to get in touch with us, <laughs> you can email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Or you, you can, can find us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you want to, if you like the show, you should like and subscribe. Yeah, give, give us, us a star rating. Review. And subscribe yeah. on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you want. To <clears throat> Excuse me, John. Oh, sorry, iTunes Apple anymore. Podcasts. Yeah, getting away from the I thing. Mm-hmm. It's the Apple Watch, not the iWatch. I know. Tim Cook. <laughs> Tim Cook is history's greatest monster. <laughs> Their next iPhone is going to be the Apple phone, okay? Mm-hmm. It's the Apple campus, not the iCampus. We're getting off track. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring.